live from Columbia, Missouri, this is The Hot Corner with your hosts, Patrick Harrion, Michael Imami, and Logan Franz. One hour of nonstop sports starts right now. And good morning, Columbia. Welcome to another edition of the Hot Corner. I'm your host, Patrick Harrion, and alongside me is Michael, <coughs> excuse me, Michael Imami and Logan France. It is Friday, May 6th, the year of our Lord, 2022. Already. It's May. Happy May. Happy May. Happy May. Happy day. There you go. <laughs> happy May, happy day. That's all we need. Snot Corner. I believe your mic is off there, son. It is not off. Oh no. Oh no. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, Mr. Kool Aid Man. Bye, Mr. Kool Aid. So Logan's motioning over to my mic and he's going to go ahead and steal it like a uh, like an angry bird. So he's going to go ahead and take it. There you go, Logan. Go ahead and take the mic. Improvise, there you go. adapt, overcome. We will we're we're figuring this out live on the fly. It was the working story, when we tested it, but you know it was it was bad because we 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 tested it every time, you know, Logan and I get here early to the uh Station. I look over at one man here. We we check through the equipment that we usually use, whether that be microphones, the aux cord that's in charge of the intro and yeah. everything else that gets played. There you go. He's talking. Is that? Can you still? You can hear me on there, right? We we can. Wow. Mike right. three actually working. What a miracle. <laughs> when when anyway. when Mike three works <laughs> and, anyway. and you got to go to work today, and, and, so you throw a party at work. We. Moving okay. On. <laughs> All right. All right. As I said, we check everything, and usually everything works by the time we get here. Sometimes the aux cord is having some issues, or anything else. The computers sometimes have issues as well. But we never really encounter that live. That was the first time we've had to improvise like yeah. that live. It was working and testing. I'm not sure exactly what's going on, but I we, digress. We 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 will <laughs> persevere. That's what we do here at the hot corner. You know this. For those of you all who've been following the show for the last three three years. Or uh, seven semesters in college, college uh, language, I guess. This is our second to last live show here in Columbia at the University of Missouri. So in reality, today's really going to be the last sports hot corner show. Because yeah. next week is really going to be a retrospective on everything we've done the last three years. And, you know, because later on that night, a week from today... We will all be graduating college, college graduates. Now I will be coming back. Y'all are leaving, leaving me. Yeah, how here. disgraceful. Yeah, and we will talk about that. I'm sure next week, but where um, what well, our plans are. But you won't want to miss it because we're gonna be. We we might be pulling up some clips from the Wayback Machine and seeing how much we've changed over the years. And it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun time. But going with our final, uh, real sports episode. It's time to talk at the NFL draft. We had we had two draft experts, if you want to call them that, on the show on the show here last week. Keegan Hartman and Brandon Anthony of KCOU's the uh, Breakfast of Champions. I always forget the last guy's name. Ryan Crothers. Ryan Crothers. It came to my mind as soon as Ryan we started talking. Crothers, yeah. But he's he's he was not joining us for that uh, draft breakdown and predictions on it's day he doesn't two like and us. day three. He actually probably didn't even know we were doing it. I'm kidding. <laughs> Well, looking back he was on producing and working very hard. You know, you can speak when spoken to. Okay. <laughs> going going back to uh the draft here. I really did not watch a lot of day 3 because to be honest with you, I, I don't even remember what I was doing that day. <laughs> I, I had it on in the background, but that was about it um for day 3 for me. All right, now I remember. I was 
dying from allergies. So, yeah, I, I got sick over a weekend, and it was not a fun time. It's not corner. It's not corner. Hashtag snot corner. Hey, snot corner. Hey, <laughs> I need an allergy pill. I need an allergy pill. Michael and Mommy 2022. But looking back at the draft, I want to ask you guys, who were the biggest winners, in your opinions, in your uneducated, not draft expertness opinions, who, who was the biggest winner? In terms of talent, I think it's one of the worst drafts I've ever seen. Uh, it was just so many untalented individuals. No, I'm kidding. Of course not. Uh, I thought it was interesting because, again, they talked about how uh, the quarterback class was not as deep, uh, but the the defense class uh, was incredibly deep. I like the pick that the Saints made a move with Chris Olave. I thought that was a solid move. We also noticed uh, several trades. We witnessed several trades. A.J. Brown headed to Philadelphia for Tennessee. Titans picking up Malik Willis. Um, you know, Washington getting Sam Howell, which I feel like Sam Howell fell uh, quite a bit more he fell than, a lot. Most than deservingly, I think, in my what opinion. a lot of people thought. Um, but, you know, what are you going to do there? Uh, so I, I think overall this this draft was, was is, is featuring a lot of, quote, I like to say dark horses, people that not a lot of individuals expect to do anything with uh, in in the years to come. And I think that's going to be drastically, that opinion is going to be drastically obliterated by the fact that a lot of these guys are uh, very talented on tape and they just do not have the hype that uh, I think last year's draft class did, in my opinion. Yeah, the quarterback class was considerably worse. I mean, I don't think anyone really expected... The um the guys at the top to fall as much as they did. I mean, we had Kenny Pickett go around one, and then Malik Willis, Desmond Ritter, both fell to the third. Ritter, Sam Howell yeah. fell to the fifth. Just those kind of guys. I think everyone expected them to go a little earlier in day two. I think all those guys were um were day two picks in my eyes. But if you're asking for a winner, the team I'm going to throw out is the Baltimore Ravens. I think Baltimore they had one Ravens. of the, the. They've always drafted really well, but I think they've had one of the um, strongest drafts in years. If you look at their um. They were capitalizing on guys who were falling because of positional value or because of other reasons. Like, if you look at their first three picks, they picked Kyle Hamilton, 14th overall, who was falling because of maybe some bad testing at the combine and positional value on safety not being as high. Then they picked Tyler Linderbaum, number number 25 overall, the center out of Iowa, who, again, fell due to positional value and maybe some issues with combine testing or anything like that. Then they got David Ojabo at pick 45 overall, the edge out of Michigan, kind of the... um, second fiddle to Aiden Hutchinson in that defense and he was he fell because he had an injury at his pro day which was he's still rehabbing from that and it ended up um knocking him down draft boards quite a bit but I think the Ravens got a great player there too so they just really capitalized on value and it was a lot of kind of oh well the teams don't value this position but it's one we need and it's one that we will fill now that the guy is just basically fallen into our lap so I think it was a really strong draft by Baltimore. Yeah, one of the teams I was most impressed with, and I know over the last few years, this team has become a meme of uh, draft lore. A meme. But i, I got to give it to the New York Jets. I mean, one, they, they take my meme. man Sauce Gardner. I'm a big, I mean, as you guys know, I'm a big Cincinnati fan. At least the last few years I have been. And watching him play over the years has been nothing short of spectacular. I mean, I can't even name another college cornerback that did not allow a single touchdown in man coverage or zone coverage, and even though Gardner played a lot of man, in his entire college career, 
Like that's standalone just sounds crazy. Now, some might say, well, that's just the American Conference. Well, if you watch the American Conference over the last few years, they've definitely been better than the Pac-12. <laughs> or uh, you can maybe make a few arguments about the ACC, but they've been a really good conference. Seeing you know him go in the top 10 as well and seeing other guys. Garrett Wilson was a good pick. And then training, trading back in at 26 for uh, Jermaine Johnson a second was also a really good trade there by the Jets. It's weird to give them a lot of credit because I've never, I don't think I've ever once given the Jets credit in my entire life. I don't think you should. I mean, when the team has made such bad moves over the years, we lost all respect with really how they've managed to bring up about the draft class. And I lost a lot of respect for analysts in general because I feel like the analysts really did not I just I didn't agree with them in a lot of in a lot of value in a lot of, of their takes because I think they kept talking about how weak the draft was and uh, I just thought that that was a wrong opinion it, it was it was a different weighted draft there's a lot of defensive players I believe I saw stats that it was the most defensive players taken in the either first round or top 15 it was I can't the, remember it was exactly. the first time in a long time that like all of the top five picks or at least four of them I'll double check that but all that all of them were defensive players. It wasn't necessarily that it was a bad draft. It was just the top was a lot. There was a lot less at the top it's, than there it, had been. It, in it's previous what years. people would consider more boring, I think, because a lot of analysts, a lot of TV guys will say, "I mean, everybody loves watching offensive players," and there's some people that like the defense. Those are, you know, might be qualified as sickos a little bit, but everyone, the casual fan, loves, you know. Deep passes and quarterbacks running all over the place. Oh, yeah. Running backs you know, and break deep, tackles. Deep, deep yeah. passes. And, and you, you, look at, you look at the way this draft was, and it's more situated on defense, which, if you're not into it, is boring to talk about. I mean, just look at the Bears. Yeah. No, you're not wrong. <laughs> look at the Bears. And, yeah, it was all five of the top five picks that went um, defense. And then Nicky Aquani went to the Panthers at six, who was the first um, offensive player. But it was, like it wasn't that it was bad, but I think the way I look at it is a lot less top-heavy. Um, Daniel Jeremiah was talking about this draft a couple weeks ago, and he said that there were probably about 10 or 11 players in last year's draft that you could make the case would go number one if overall if they were in this year's draft. Like, it was just a lot less... Top heavy, there was a lot more confusion at the top whether you know it was going to be Trevon Walker or Aiden Hutchinson. That was a hot topic of debate in the days leading up to it. So it was just there was a lot less certainty and there was a lot less kind of clear cut um, top tier talent. Is I guess the way to put it. It was just, it was a lot less top heavy. Yeah, so there was a lot of there's a lot of choice, and it really came down to what you needed when it came to the top ten. There wasn't a crazy good quarterback as much as I love Bailey Zapp if he would have done that at LSU I think times would have been a little bit different here <coughs> but there was really no one that was like you need this guy at one no matter what I mean I would argue and you say Hutchinson him. was one of those guys but I digress I feel like he should have been the number one overall pick I think the Jaguars are banking on a lot more upside with Walker where he has the potential to be a superstar there's this this weird kind of thought process out there where, like, Hutchinson isn't going to get much better, like, he's already peaked. I don't know exactly what that means, and I don't know exactly why people are um, speculating that, but, like, they feel like Walker has a lot more upside, and I guess the Jaguars agree. But that's kind of where the... Where have, where have they been on their picks lately? Yeah, that's kind of, Yeah, exactly. I think it was um, Greg Rosenthal around the NFL who was talking about it, and he said... I don't trust the Jaguars to take the boomer bust guy because everything the franchise has done for the past decade has been bust. So like minus that weird 2017 uh, yeah that one season where their defense carried them 
to the conference that's, championship. It, that's the uh, 2018 Bears anom- anomaly, essentially. Except, you know, the Jaguars actually won a playoff game. Yeah, that's the big difference there. <laughs> Pain. And, you know, we, we can talk about, we talk about winners. You got to talk about losers. And I got to ask you guys, I wonder, Logan, I'm wondering if you and I might be coming from the same exact web page. I am looking just at the NFL draft tracker. Like okay, the actual never mind. NFL. I, I actually thing. straight up looked up <laughs> winners and losers <laughs> of the NFL draft. But I, I was actually going to put my own opinion in there as well because I did watch day one. And I watched, I believe, a lot of day two. I didn't watch any of day three. Because I watched all of day two. I was suffering in my room I was, with allergies. I mean, that, that, would, that sounds like a great time to turn on the TV and just watch the draft. But regardless. Let's I, just say I was sitting in a dark room contemplating all my life choices that led to me going to school in a place that actually encounters spring. Fair enough. It's allergy season. But regardless... Um, my ribs hurt. It. <laughs> What's wrong with you, man? I don't know, man. What's wrong with you? I don't know. So it, getting back on track, it pains me to say this, but if I have to go with a loser this draft, I have to go with my, my beloved Chicago Bears. And the reason why, I think, I think they got a lot of value in their picks. I like Kyler Gordon at number 39 and Jaquan Brisker at number 48. I just thought that one of those picks would and should have been used to address the offense. We were hearing all this offseason about how the plan was to build around Justin Fields and the plan was to set him up for success in year two, and I just don't think they've done a good job at it. Dan Orlovsky was tweeting just yesterday, and I think this was overblown a little bit, but I think it does have some significance that the highest draft stock they used on any of their receivers was a fifth-round pick so far. Well, a third-round pick, um, counting Valus Jones, who they took um, this year. But it's a third-round pick, a fifth-round pick, and like a couple undrafted free agents. Now, obviously, they were these guys were signed as free agents um, back in March and April, so they, they weren't drafted by the team. But it's, it's just the situation where you expected it's them puzzled. to do more. Yeah, it feels like they're not putting as much resources as they could. I mean, I was a big fan of George Pickens, and he fell to 39 and then fell to 48, and both times they passed on him. I thought he was a first-round talent. There was some character concerns was the term used that had him fall fall off of team's boards completely over the course of the draft. So that's... I think those are a little overblown in a lot of cases. I think he was a first-round talent, and I think he should have been taken at multiple different points in the second round, but he wasn't. And I just feel like they they didn't address the offensive line. Like, this team still doesn't know who's starting at um, one of the guard spots this upcoming season. And the offensive line was a huge reason Field struggled this past season. So I think I would have loved to see more, being more aggressive in pursuing those. If the board didn't fall that way for you, then the board didn't fall that way for you. But I felt like there was, I felt like there should have been more investment in your offense and in your young quarterback. And we just didn't see that in the draft. Yeah, that was one thing... Uh, like, I, like I said, I don't watch a lot. Well, I do watch the draft. Day three sometimes becomes a blur. And I was just really puzzled. We, 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 I think we you came over for uh, day two, I think. I came over for day two, yeah. not day three. And I remember just watching the Bears go defensive back, defensive back. And I'm just sitting there, and I'm like, glad, glad, glad to see nothing really changed after we you know cleared house and decided, you know what? Instead of fixing you know the big glaring issue in this team being the O-line and, you know, having wide receivers that are good, they're like, you know, well, let's go back to the, you know, defense because, you know, vintage bear football is that defense. And that's what we build here in Chicago, which, you know, how many Super Bowls has that brought us? One. Who? Maybe yeah. you should change the way and you... And I think... <sighs> I'm sorry, I'm getting, I'm getting a little frustrated being there. here. 
I think Matt Eberflus being there is part of it. He's a defensive head coach. He wants to get his guys. And I'm not saying that we that they didn't need those those guys in Brisker and Gordon. I think the regime is going to decide the season whether or not to move on from Eddie Jackson and Jaquan Brisker might be a way to kind of ease that transition. Kyler Gordon was a huge need. I mean, corner was outside of Jalen Johnson. They were awful last year, so they definitely needed another corner. So it's not like they didn't. It's not like they weren't drafting for need a little bit. I think they went um, took a more of a BPA approach. It's just that I don't think the best player available at 39 was Kyler Gordon, and I don't think the best player available at 48 was Jaquan Brisker. I think George Pickens was the best available at both those picks, and it felt like a slam dunk to get you know a nice big six three target that's got an insane catch radius and can you know can stretch the field. It, Felt like a slam dunk pick at both those spots, and they passed on him both times. It's the Bears. It's the Bears. That's that's just great. And people will say, well, what does that mean? Well, if you were a fan, you'd understand <laughs> that no matter who's in the front office, no matter who's on the field, it's complete incompetence. Incompetentness. There we go. I can speak English. <laughs> and nobody really knows what they're doing on that team or what they want to do. Mm-hmm. It just makes you scratch your head, and you're like, you know, this team has a lot of fans. It's big. It's one of the oldest teams. It's it's not like it's the Jaguars. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. And, I'm, and I can go on this path, and it will probably lead to me yelling about, you know, signing a defensive coach because, you know, does that really work? People will throw out there, like, the two coaches that it does, but how about the, all the others that don't? And, but then again, you can say, well, you know, I don't think it's a tried and true method to sign either offensive or defensive. I think it's more determined on the person and how you know. You're, you're, there's nothing less predictive in the NFL than whether or not a coach is going to succeed. Yeah, but it's personally, just, I'd rather have a coach in a, in, a, in a league that's more and more and more offensive based. I want an offensive minded coach in there, and not a guy who's going to be potentially drafting more defensive players. When yes, we do need corners. The Bears do need corners. I can't say that. I can't say we. I'm not. Par- I am not representative of the Bears. But I just it just puzzles my mind every year. It puzzles my mind. Am I very negative on the Bears? Yeah, I'm more negative than any other team I'm a fan of. That's just for whatever reason, maybe because I'm just brought up in disappointment. But yeah, I think the reason I'm coming from is scratching moves. Like the picks made sense at where they were. I just thought there were better options, and I think that they should have addressed. They should have invested more in the offense than they did. I think I under like like I said, I understand where those picks are. I just think if you're planning on building around this young quarterback and you want to put him in position to succeed, the way you did it this off season is not not the way to do it. All right, Michael, loser. Washington, uh, largely because I think Wash they, they had a they had a C plus draft in my in my opinion. Uh, they should have taken more defensive players. They didn't. They added to their running game, which I didn't think needed to be added to. They took a wide receiver, which I thought was fine, but I think that more focus needed to be put on slot corners, not the snot corner. Slot corners. All right, that's that. Uh, I am putting a ban on any reference to snot corner snot from corner. here on out. Okay, whatever. Uh, I think they needed another edge rusher, and I also think that the uh, they they did make moves for two O linemen, which I thought was fair with Sheriff gone, and they did sign two free agents. So I think, you know, that was a that was a fair move. But overall, I think they 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 really they didn't bomb the draft, but I, I think they uh, certainly could have done a heck of a lot better than than what they came in with. I think they were very 
very conservative in their decision making and there were guys on the board still at the time that they should have taken that they did not. Their first round pick was really puzzling to me. I don't right. get taking Jahan Dotson over exactly. guys. I wasn't I wasn't um huge on Christian Watson, but I thought he was probably a better player than Dotson. Um Traylon Burks was on the board, who I thought was definitely a better player than Dotson. I had Burks as my third ranked wide receiver in this draft. So I just I don't understand it. I don't understand where that one was coming from. I mean, he's got sure hands and he's a good route runner, but he's not dynamic in the way that a guy like Traylon Burks is. He just isn't. So that one was really weird to me. I heard that he was getting a lot of first-round buzz throughout the draft process, and I just didn't see it. But I I thought he would go definitely later than Burks. That was the one that really struck me, was that he was taken before Traylon Burks was. Puzzling. I, I don't. I'm not a fan of Sam Howell. I am probably what some might say is a certified an honest Sam Howell hater because I've watched a lot of UNC over the last couple seasons and seeing Sam Howell, it's just been a letdown. You know, you look at college hype around UNC the last couple seasons is projected top 10 finisher and even a dark horse for the college football playoffs. (coughs) Oh, geez. And when you, excuse me. Oh, it's like back, in, back here in last semester, and I was hacking up along every show. But when you look back at how they've played, and you look at some some tape of Howell, and there really isn't a lot that gets me excited. And maybe that's why he fell as far as he did. I think he should have fell way farther. I think he should have been a fifth-round pick, in my opinion. But some might argue with me, and honestly, I don't care what you have to say about that, because my we opinion is correct. But watching him play, it's not like a guy who plays in a in a group of five conference, or I wouldn't, or for example, Bailey Zapp. I thought Bailey Zapp was a lot better. And watching him play and seeing the things he's done, I'd much rather had him go than Sam Hall. Now, I can't remember for the life of me when Bailey Zapp got drafted. He was like a third or fourth round pick. He went to the Patriots. I remember that much. I know he went to the Patriots, which confuses me a little bit. But, you They're know, drafting him to be a who, am, who am I to judge? The works of Bill Belichick is clearly what he's doing works. <laughs> I think they drafted him to be a backup. I think that was pretty clear. I just don't. To Sam Howell, the hype in college, I never understood because I'll judge a guy based on how good they are in college. And a lot of times, you know, good college player does not represent a good professional player. I know that storyline. I've argued with you with that as well when you mentioned Ian Book a few years ago. And I said that's no relevancy about how to do in pros because we're talking college. Well, we're actually yeah. talking pro today. And. I can base what I saw on Sam Howell and say he's going to be very mediocre if best. I mean, I think the fifth-round pick means he might not even see the field. That's a definite possibility. But I, I think what I saw from him, just he has he has a very talented arm. He does. Yeah, but he's, so do a lot of quarterbacks. Well, yeah, and he needs to. he could serve to be more accurate, especially on deep throws, which is something that you can say about a lot of draft quarterbacks, but he definitely needs that. His athleticism is subpar. But he's he's got a very strong arm. He just needs to learn how to use it is the best way to put it. And I think that there's I, there was no quarterback in this draft that wasn't a developmental pick. I just feel like the I, I feel like Malik Willis falling to the third kind of changed the tone on how people are viewing these quarterbacks because I think Malik Willis was at the top of most people's boards. I was bigger on Matt Corral than a lot of people in this draft. And well, Matt Corral had the injury, and that was always the big question mark. I was I was high on Malik Willis. Yeah, I was I was um, big on Corral, and obviously Willis was my um, was still my second quarterback. But I think him falling the way he did 
kind of changed the way people are viewing this quarterback class because he was kind of one of the consensus guys at the top and just no quarterback got drafted in the second round. And, I mean, I don't think Desmond Ritter should have gone where he went either. I thought he was a guy that should have gone around that, like, that um, fourth-round pick range maybe. I just think he's a developmental pick. But then again, like I said, most of the quarterbacks in this draft were developmental picks. So it's a weird situation for sure. The one that really sticks out to me is that Carson Strong didn't get drafted. I thought he would at least someone would take a flyer on him in the sixth or seventh round pick. I don't think he is, but he's, I mean, he's very confident in throwing the ball, which is a thing that I love to see. He throws with conviction, which I think is something you don't see a lot at a college. He was kind of that guy with a, you know, he'll get rid of the ball quick, but he does not move the way you want a quarterback in today's NFL to move with edge rushers getting more and more athletic. You want a guy that's going to be able to, move in the pocket, and I just didn't see that with Carson Strong, and I think that was his biggest weakness. But I thought he would have at least gotten drafted. All right, with that, that ends our coverage of the NFL Draft. You can check out our archives on Anchor or Spotify or those podcast stuff to see our interviews with Brandon Anthony and Keegan Hartman of Breakfast of Champions. We're going to take a short break. We come back. We're talking Stanley Cup playoffs, or the Cup playoffs. The Stanley. Nobody calls it the Stanley. The Stanley. We'll, we'll dive into that when we come back here on Hot Corner on KCU 88.5 FM and KCU.FM. Young people from all walks of life have volunteered to take part in a frightening experiment. They are allowing their brains to be altered. Altered to induce paranoia, heart malfunction, memory loss, even early senility. Unfortunately, this is not an experiment. It's what slowly happens to you when you keep smoking pot. No one has to alter your brain. You've already volunteered to do it to yourself. Lovely cushion header. Pajero! You beauty! What a headshot! What a head! Stay in touch with all the latest soccer news and highlights from the game's premier competitions. Join me, Jack Knowlton, for Box to Box, where I'll break down everything from scores to transfers to player and club profiles and much, much more. Everything you need to know about the beautiful game can be found on Box to Box, Wednesdays at 11 a.m. on KCOU. That's astonishing! My part-time service in the Army National Guard makes it possible for me to be more for the community I call home. My training helps me at work when I lead by example. My service in the Army National Guard allows me to keep my community and those I care about safe from threats. Learn more about how you too can live and serve part-time close to home by visiting NationalGuard.com. Sponsored by the Missouri Army National Guard. Aired by the Missouri Broadcasters Association at this station. Cup playoffs have been going on the last few days and first round of the tournament. I don't think there's any what do they call it? Is it just round one? It's just the first round. Good. It's the only one I know about that has certain names are the NFL playoffs and the MLB playoffs have the wild card, divisional, conference, and so forth. But I have I've actually I've read a little bit on a lot of the Stanley Cup playoffs. I've been a little busy this week. In some extracurricular activities, I would say. So I haven't exactly sat down and watched a lot of hockey. Now, next week I probably will because there's a lot of time between graduation day and really nothing because I have like two tests next week and both are. Ha ha ha. Ha ha. Okay. Okay. 
as I was saying, I haven't I haven't watched a lot of hockey, so I'm gonna throw it as Not usual about that. to our expert hockey analyst in the booth here for the last time, Logan Franz. Lights, camera, action, Logan. There we are. So first, if we just want to recap um, the first round series and where they stand right now, game twos have been completed for every series. Um, the Penguins and Rangers are tied one to one, as are the Panthers and Capitals. Colorado leads Nashville 2 to 0. Dallas and Calgary are tied at 1. Carolina leads Boston 2 to 0. Toronto and Tampa Bay, stop me if you've heard this before, are tied at 1. Minnesota and St. Louis are tied at 1 at Edmonton and the Los Angeles Kings are also tied, tied at, at one. 1. So that's where go. we stand right now. Um, a lot of 1 to 1 series right now, which I think is a good sign moving forward that we had so we had some first games that were blowouts and it was kind of We had some second games that have been that was the Lost. next point I was going to make, but the fact that it's gone both ways kind of, um, I think, means good things for what the rest of the first round has in store for us. The series that has really interested me, intrigued me the most, was probably New York-Pittsburgh. I feel like that one's a really interesting one. Um, two kind of marquee franchises, and the first game went into triple overtime, which is not something we get a lot. And I think it's been interesting to watch the... These two teams are kind of built fairly differently, and I think the Rangers are probably a more complete team than the Penguins, I would say, but the Penguins kind of have some of that playoff experience. They've got some some more of the wise, older guys in the room there that I think can um, help them out a lot. I think New York's going to get bailed out by Shesterkin, and I think that that's going to help them. He's my pick for the Vesna Trophy yeah, just, this year. Just look, just look at that, that triple overtime game. 83 shots allowed, 79 shots saved. I mean, I don't know. That's like two games worth right there. He was one of the reasons they were in that game as long as they were. Pittsburgh was racking up the chances, and he was making the stop. Um, unfortunately, the team around him just couldn't capitalize and, you know, get one in the um, get that score before Pittsburgh could. But it was he was a big reason why that game went into third overtime the way it did. So that one's a really intriguing series to me to see how he continues to play moving forward and if they can steal a couple games because of him. Yeah, and the St. <clears throat> and the St. Louis Blues uh, game was kind of interesting. I know we watched that in the bar together, but... Yes, we did. The, the, I think the main thing is is the, the, you have a bunch of one-to-one series, and so in a situation like this where you have Tampa Bay, Toronto... Uh, you know, and then you had the the game where Minnesota won by against St. Louis by a fair amount. I mean, it was six to two in that game, uh, just absolutely dominant. You know, but the thing is, Minnesota got out strong, starting out three nothing in the first period. So I think Logan, this is the case where you have teams, the teams that start fast, are going to be the ones that end up winning instead of the teams that. Uh, making comebacks later on in the games. This has been a situation where we're seeing a Stanley Cup playoffs where these organizations that are putting their foot on the gas pedal essentially do not stop and do not quit, and they keep moving forward, and it carries throughout the, throughout all three periods. So that's a big situation, I think, is uh, is can you start fast, and uh, can, you put your, can you keep your foot on the gas pedal, um, and you're likely to win uh, the series that way, in my opinion. Yeah, another thing that's kind of stuck out to me um, is some of the younger goalie talent we've seen early in the first round. Um, Auntie Ranta was in net for the Hurricanes, and he got hurt. He collided with David Pasternak and um, unfortunately did not return to Game 2. And Pyotr Kochekov 
came in the game for the Carolina Hurricanes, a young goalie who they didn't think was ready yet, but he lived up to the task. I don't have the numbers on me um, offhand, but I will pull those up as I'm talking. And he just he had he a great went, game. He asked, had 30 saves on 32 shot attempts. Thank you. There you go. So he had a great game, and um, the Hurricanes won that game 5-2. to two. And another one happened last night with Connor Ingram of the Nashville Predators, and they've kind of struggled against Colorado, not nearly as much as they did in Game 1. Game 2 was a lot closer. It was in overtime. Kill McCarr won the game in overtime because, of course, he did. But Connor Ingram faced 50 shots and had 48 saves in that Game 2. So it kind of reminds me of Alex Nedeljkovic last season. He kind of burst onto the scene. It wasn't in the playoffs where he, um, where he first started. He played a few games in the regular season as well. But he really um, received a lot more prominence when the playoffs started and he was playing as well as he did. Connor Ingram, by the way, I want to go back to him for just a minute. This was his fourth NHL start against the Colorado Avalanche in the playoffs, and he went 48 for 50. 48 wow, saves wow. on 50 shots. That is impressive against a team like the Avalanche. Who, goalie of the week. <laughs> who oh, yeah. a lot of people have as their Stanley Cup favorite. The fact that he was able to help his team bring them to overtime, I think, speaks a lot about him. Obviously, the Predators want UC Saros back, but it seems like they're in good hands with Connor Ingram um, this far, at least. And I think it's going to be a situation where he could steal a game or two. Do I think he has the potential to steal a series? A Absolutely not against a team like the Avalanche, but he could definitely steal a game or two and have the Preds um, bring them to five or six, which would be to make it a more interesting series, definitely. I can tell you right now, I, I did watch a lot of that Blues Wild game uh, a couple days ago. Part of our uh, senior bar crawl over at the TV station, which yeah, fun. Fun times. But it w- that that's a series I'm most interested in. One, because I'm a honest Blues hater. That just comes with, that's the baggage that comes with being a Blackhawks fan. But also, the Wild, it's just a story of a team that really built themselves up, I think. And they used to be a joke. Now they're back in the playoffs, and they're playing pretty good. I mean, but one thing I'm looking at, as we talked about this earlier, a lot of the games being kind of blowouts really goes to show you that, I guess right now, in terms of goalie play, Minus a few of the names you did mention, there's a lot of evenness. Oh, there's, there's no really players that are separating themselves from others at goalie, which really is going to put it more on you. Because usually we've, we've talked about on the show here the last few years that a good goalie, a hot goalie, is what you need to make it very far in the playoffs. Well, right now, there's really no team that has that. Yeah, there's no team that has a clear. Front runner. I think the guys that we mentioned earlier, Igor Shesterkin, um, Andre Vasilevsky is a guy we didn't even talk about. He's one of the best goalies in the league. But there's no one that's really seemed like far and away the best at goaltending or the best at defense. And I think I had a point that I completely lost is what I think happened. But it's not coming to me. Oh, my God. What? You just witnessed me completely losing my train of thought. Live on the air. That oh, was, that's terrible. It is terrible. You hate to see it. What else do you hate to oh, see? Oh, okay. Is, the point what that you hate I was to going see to is make. a notification that says your exam three grade is in. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna um, give a peek behind the curtain here, but no, I What'd think you get? the we're, we're not doing this live on the air. The thing that I think is true about the NHL now is I got that an eighty four. 
Nice. <laughs> the thing I think nice. that's true about the NHL right now is that the division of power is bigger than it's ever been. And I think in terms of the playoffs, these teams are fairly evenly matched, but teams outside the playoffs are a lot worse than the teams that are inside the playoffs right now. I mean, I you got to like, be good to make the playoffs. Yeah, I feel like that cut... Well, what I'm saying is the Eastern <laughs> Conference between the second wild card and the first team out were separated by about 15 points by the end of the season. I think there's a lot of separation between the good and the bad teams in the NHL right now, and I think we're seeing that a lot of these good teams, these really good teams that are in the playoffs, are really pretty evenly matched, and they're all very good teams that were able to beat up on the bad ones and now are... And I think that's why these series have been so entertaining and why you've seen you know, blowouts either way, that it's... It's been a lot of the fact that they are evenly matched is a reason why they've had blowouts one way or the other. And that seems counterintuitive, but the fact that it's happened for both sides in a few of these games um, really speaks volumes, I think. Yeah, I'm definitely going to be tuning into a few more games. I'm probably going to see a few of them tonight as another event's going on, and they'll have TVs there. And I'll probably watch a little bit of the games if they're on at that hour. It's going to be pretty late, so probably some West Coast games, seeing all that goes. We love some late-night hockey. But looking at this now, I want your honest opinion. The chances of a Canadian team winning the Stanley Cup this year, high or low? Slim. Slim. It's slim. I think it's slim. Sorry to all the Canucks out there. (laughs) I have... The Leafs losing the series in six to the Lightning. I just feel like we we've seen them. We've seen this movie before, where they're hot in the regular season. Everyone's, you know, rah rah Maple Leafs. Like they're gonna go the distance, and then they don't, and then they lose in the first round. So I feel like that's tough. The best chance is Calgary, and honestly, I think Dallas beats them in the series as well. I think Dallas. But but if 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 Toronto gets past the first round, does it does it open it up a lot, or are they still? You've got to Fighting play that, up, that uphill climb. It's still an uphill battle. I mean, you've got to fight. You've got to play either Carolina. You've got to play Florida. You have to the the road to the cup runs through Florida in some cases. I feel like so you've got to play Carolina. You've got to play either Florida. You've got to play. You know, you might meet the Rangers at some point too. So I, I just don't see it. I don't see it with Toronto. I think. The play. I think the playoffs are going to catch up with them like they always do. I think that it's just. It feels inevitable. It's not. It's not a question of if. It's a question of when. Yeah, the stars that they have have. The way Elliot Freeman put it on Thirty Two Thoughts is that he wants to see how they fare when the series gets hard. What happens when it? You know, the chips are down, and they won Game One, and that's great. But Game Two, they took a step back, and you know, Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay really surged forward, and I think that. It's one-to-one now. You're going into game three. I think this qualifies as a moment where the chips are down and they need to get their best play out of their stars in Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and even William Nylander. So will they get that? That remains to be seen, but I'm not I'm not convinced. And I just think Dallas in the series, I, I really like Jake Ottinger. I really like what Dallas has going on. It's going to be a lot of, it's going to be a situation where they need to win a lot of games 3 to 2 or 2 to 1 or 1 to 0. Like we're going to see a lot of those cuz that series against Calgary is a defensive one, but I think Dallas has the better team by just a hair. And the Oilers. Another team that's kind of you know, show 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 me that you can do it in the playoffs. I mean, Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl are two of the most electric players in the NHL in the regular season. And we saw a lot of good things um, the other night from the Oilers beating the Kings the way they did. 
But, I mean, is it sustainable? We'll find out. We'll find out if they can make it happen in the playoffs. But until they do it, it's just a thing where you've got to show me that you can win one of those playoff series. I mean, last year against the Jets really spoke volumes that they got swept after having two of the most electric players in the league on their team. So go out and show it to me. But until then, I'm not exactly trusting it. Closing thoughts. Takers. Anyone. Anyone. Michael. I think the best team is going to win the Stanley Cup final. Oh, wow. And no, 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 no. Hard hitting no analysis way. here by uh, the Michael Imani. As I said earlier, I, I think the main thing is is the, the key to winning this the Stanley this year is really... It's the cup. It's the not key the to winning Stanley. The Stanley is essentially, as I said, no start fast, that. start fast. Because you don't have to... It's not about how you finish. It's about how you start. And that, that's why this series, these series are so weird. Because you got the blues. The, 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 it's the saying. It's not about how you start. It's how you finish. Exactly. But the, in this case, it's the opposite. It's about how you start. I think the Penguins and Rangers game that went to three overtimes would uh, um, speak against let's that Actually, let's let point. the man talk. Let's let the man talk. What I'm saying is, I'm not saying what, that's the saying. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. I'm saying in this Stanley Cup playoffs tournament, it's about how you start more than how you finish. I know Logan has a disagreement there, but in a lot of cases, we've seen teams who have gotten ahead and gotten ahead early be able to handle and hold that lead. In this case, I think that's what's going to be the defining parameters of of this tournament. I mean, we've also seen a lot of situations where teams have have. gone up 3-1 and blow that lead. So I don't know exactly. We've seen that throughout history. You can start as as well as you want, but if you're not finishing the series. Let's just say it's a lot harder to blow a 3-1 lead than it is. Oh yeah, 3-0. for sure. And you yeah. want to start. You want to start strong. You always do, but you also want to finish strong. You need both. And it I goes don't think both that's... ways. But I understand Michael's point is get ahead early, have that lead, so you don't have to worry about fighting your way back in. Now that's where teams might get complacent, and that's where you allow the other team in. It happens, but more often than not, if you're up by four goals in one game, you're probably going to win that game. Yeah, so, and then you need to carry it into the next game, and, and if you do it again, all that game, it needs to. My point is, you need both. I don't think it's, but I understand his point. It's it's the part of it that says not how you finish that's really getting to me. I think you have to finish just as well as you start. It, it's Obviously, getting to me to too, and it's it making me emotional. But I think the thing <laughs> is, is when you look at the importance of how you start. I, 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 I let me rephrase because I don't want to. I don't want to uh, hurt anybody's feelings in here. But when you when you start strong, I think the key to that point is it's about that momentum, right? You have to be able to carry that. And you need something to build your momentum off of. You don't want to be working behind. And I guess that's true in life. But I think especially in, in a game like hockey where, you know, the, the games are so fast-paced, you, your, your head spins as you're watching it. So... When I looked at the Blues game and the Blues in the Wild game, they the, the Wild never took their foot off the gas pedal. And what I mean is is that the way that the teams go out in the first period is how that game is going to be defined. Now, whether or not you hold that lead, it's your responsibility to hold that lead. We've talked about teams blowing leads for years. But it's more important for teams in this series, it's especially important for teams in this series, to start strong. Finishing is obviously important too, but I really want to emphasize the importance of starting strong because that's how these teams are going to end up moving forward in these series. Especially if, you can, especially if you can get out to a big lead, it obviously helps. I'm not discounting that. I just think that my, my, the point I was trying to make was that finishing is just as important. But if you want a closing thought for me, I, until proven otherwise, I still think the Avs are the best team in the league. And I don't think that's 
that's going to change unless one team really wows me. I think it's the it's the Avs Cup to lose, if I should um, put it that way. We've seen they're another team that has choked away playoffs um, before. So will they do it this time? you got to show it to me, but they've shown to, to me at least now during the season and this playoff series that they look like the best team in the league. Avs, Ravs, it d- d- doesn't matter. Panthers in three. <laughs> Panthers in four. <laughs> We're going to take a short break. We come back. Our signature segment here on Hot Corner. The final word. One of the final times. The final word. All this and more on Hot Corner on KCU 88.1 FM and KCU.FM. Ranger Station. I'd like to report a bear hug. Okay. I put out my campfire and Smokey Bear hugged me. So you drowned the fire, you stirred it. Drowned it again and felt that it was cold? Uh-huh. Yeah, but he's just letting you know you did good. Bear hug from Smokey Bear. Status update. I'm going to let you go now. There are many ways to start a fire, but one sure way to put it out. Learn how you can do your part at SmokeyBear.com. Sponsored by the U.S. Forest Service Ad Council and your state forester. Look at me, busy as a bee. Where'd I get all this energy? Oh, man. Mm, man. I don't sleep and I don't eat, but I've got the cleanest house on the street. Oh, man. Mm, man. Get these hairs all out of my face. Get these bugs all out of my place. One more hit. No time to waste. Oh, man. Oh, mm, man. Everyone has their favorite bench player. Well, yours can be too. Starting Left Bench is a sports variety talk show with your two new favorite bench warmers. Join Justin Bear and Peyton Heverman as they discuss almost anything and everything in the sports world and some things outside of it. Join us on the bench Mondays at 3 p.m. on KCOU 88.1 FM to hear some goofiness and talk that you would hear from your favorite bench warmers. Starting left bench for those not good enough to go pro. We're excited for you to join us on the bench and we'll see you there. Well, you know you make me wanna For one of the final times, it pains me. Now, granted, we're going to continue this show in a different format on on podcasts, so we're not going away. I'm not going away. You can't get rid so of us that easy. You're stuck with me for another two and a half, maybe three years. <laughs> get used to hearing this voice. <laughs> when you hear when you hear a shot, it means one thing or two things, maybe three if you're a Bills fan. But Animal House and of course the final word. Right, pick a funny sports story or sport. Michael picks the hero of the week, and Logan starts your Friday workday slash stop day shenanigans with a nice feel good story. <laughs> Shenanigans. Fr- stop day debauchery. <laughs> it ain't for no stop day when you, you work call- day. <laughs> well, that stinks for you. I didn't didn't ask plus ratio. All right. <laughs> so uh, we're we're heading back to the greatest continent slash uh, country in the world, Australia. To the town of Port Lincoln in South Australia, to an event that's been held since the year of our Lord, 1979, the famous Tuna Toss of the Tunarama Festival in Port Lincoln, and a competition, which it's going to sound pretty self-explanatory here, is to throw a tuna as far as possible. Now, <coughs> excuse me, coughing is not 
part of it. Originally, a fresh tuna fish was used, but they've they've gone past their Neanderthal stage here. And since 2008, competitors throw a weighted plastic tuna in the initial heats. But in the finals, they use a frozen 9 to 10 kilogram. Let me get that in American here. Uh, <laughs> two pounds, because I don't know. Click, click, click. the computer keyboard. What's the kilogram? I don't know. Which is a 22-pound, uh, a 19.84-pound to 22-pound fish in American. Weight southern bluefin tuna with a rope handle threaded through its gills. Now, no fish are killed for the competition. Only undersized fish that have died naturally, which confuses me. How do they exactly find those? Yeah, for a second I thought they were just tossing live fish with, like, ropes in their gills. And I was like, that doesn't seem like it keeps them alive. It also doesn't seem like a good life to live. So the most most successful competitors use a hammer-throwing technique, spinning several times before unleashing the tuna unleashing unleashing this the current record for the longest throw is held by australian olympic hammer thrower sean carlin who threw it oh gotta gotta convert this one here uh meters to f- <laughs> doing this live folks i don't speak not american <laughs> who threw it 37.23 meters which in american <laughs> is 122 According to Google, foot. <laughs> 122.14 feet. Carlin, in, in 1998, Carlin also holds the Australian hammer throw record. The woman's record of 22.15 feet, which I'm just going to do some mental math here. I'm assuming is 68-ish. Uh, let's double count that. It's 22 meters. You it's said 72 feet, feet actually. <laughs> 72 feet was set in 2002 by hammer thrower Brooke Kruger. The winners take home $1,000 for first place, and second place wins $500,000. $500. There's also exciting things to do at the festival if you don't like mind the smell of fish. So, Tunarama. When we're doing our tour of Australia, going from the Iron Bar Bar to Port (laughs) Lincoln in South Australia, we'll be all participating in the yearly Tunarama Festival. And I got dibs on myself. I think I can throw tuna the farthest out of everyone here. Michael might give me a run for my money here. But I'm going to have to ask ask him to uh, speak American and and tell me in feet because I don't know. I don't need to make it political or anything, but what's a meter? Uh, I don't even. I don't have the arm strength to throw a tuna that far. So I think. I think you're right that it would be between you guys. Oh god, y'all are so funny. I'm gonna throw up. Uh, so <laughs> draft story. We got a. We got a nice one here. Uh, Tennessee football. Ooh, Titans drafting Theo Jackson as NFL's best never give up story. Uh, this one's by Caleb Calhoun from Fan Sided. Uh, Calhoun says, it's really hard not to feel good for Theo Jackson. If anybody knows his story, he spent four years as a team player for the Tennessee football team, doing whatever was asked of him without getting a chance to be a full-time starter. Then he emerged his final year in Josh Heupel's system. Even with that production, though, he didn't receive an NFL Combine invite. As a result, he had to make the most of his pro day and the East-West Shrine Bowl to add value along with his production in college to NFL scouts. And guess what, folks? It worked. Jackson became Tennessee football's fifth player taken in the 2022 NFL Draft. Titans took the versatile defensive back in the sixth round. I know, Logan, you know that, with the 204th overall pick. Since then, he's from Nashville, Tennessee. He's staying home. 
Uh, just an incredible story there. And if you want to read the story, the whole thing, as I said, is on fan sided. Heupel had some comments about how proud he was. Um, but this one is, is a really, really, really fantastic story uh, of a guy who essentially shoot your shot. He took it. He had one chance, and he made the most of it. Logan, I know you're raising your hand over there. I'm not raising my hand over here. I thought you were raising your hand over there. No, but that, a, a great story of perseverance um, from Theo Jackson. And if that's going to segue into my story, we're going to skip ahead four picks. From the 204th pick to the 208th pick, where the Steelers selected Connor Hayward, tight end out of Michigan State. Now, I know what you're saying. That name... Why does it sound familiar? And it's because it is the brother of defensive end Cameron Hayward. And the Steelers drafted um, his brother. They obviously have the Watt brothers and a couple well um, lesser-known sets of brothers that they have. Um, Terrell and Trey Edmonds, they have both, both of, and Carlos and Khalil Davis. And so that makes it four, count it four, sets of brothers for the Pittsburgh Steelers, which I think is just, you know, um, family ties are um, being made there. Um, Cameron Hayward tweeted out when his brother was drafted about how proud he was of him. And um, a quote from him after he was drafted said, my brother was just as surprised as I, as I was, and we were both just extremely happy. I'm not born in Pittsburgh, but Pittsburgh means a lot to me. And um, this was Connor talking, so he said, but Cameron's involved a lot, so this just means that much more to me. So... A great story. Obviously, you love to see those kind of things. I remember there was um, Cameron Hayward was talking about that, and he mentioned a prank he played on him where he said he was traded to the Ravens um, before his contract ended, before he signed an extension in Pittsburgh. So just stuff like that. You you love to see um, brothers reunited on the same team. It's feeling more and more common in sports these days, and I just think that this was a um, a great example of that. So Connor Hayward, my feel-good story for this week. Feel-good story. Love to see it. Love to see it. Keep keep your eyes peeled or ears peeled. I don't know what the correct term is. Next week will be the final Hot Corner episode ever to air here at the University of Missouri, KCU. Going to be a little bit of a heart heart wrenching emotional st- story, but he, he, entire shows. Tune in next week story. for a retrospective of everything that's happened in the last three years. It's been an honor, and we'll have our speeches and all that fun stuff next week. So. Keep that in mind. So next week will be that final episode. So with that, that is the end of our edition of the Hot Corner. Be sure to follow us on our social media page, RIP Hot Corner Sports. <laughs> we haven't uploaded that in two years. You can follow. You don't even need to follow it anymore. You can follow <laughs> yours truly at Patrick Carrion, Logan at Living Like Logan, and Michael at Mommy Michael. That's right, also, baby. make sure check us out on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and any other podcast services under the name The Hot Corner. It will be a wonderful Friday, and we will see you next week for one last dance. Same time. So until then, Hot Corner, signing off.